With the last episode focusing on Ian Borowski's adventures in Alaska, I thought I'd use this journal entry to go into more depth about the story of Into the Wild, the book about the life of Christopher McCandless, written by John Krakauer and eventually transformed into a movie by Sean Penn. There's also a lesser-known documentary about McCandless's journey uh, called The Call of the Wild that I personally haven't seen yet, but I'm looking forward to watching in the future. In the early 1990s, a young man named Christopher McCandless embarked on a journey that would become a modern legend, a tale of adventure, idealism, and the tragic beauty of youthful fervor. This is the story of Alexander Supertramp, as he called himself. Born on February 12, 1968, in Inglewood, California, Christopher McCandless faced an abusive family dynamic at home despite excelling at school and his extracurriculars. He was an outstanding athlete and went on to pursue double majors of history and anthropology at Emory University, where he graduated top of his class with honors. He also had a passion for literature. He was deeply influenced by the works of Jack London, Leo Tolstoy, and Henry David Thoreau, whose ideas helped shape his transcendental view of the world. His father's alcoholism and bigamous union with his second wife, however, left a lasting impact on him, leaving him dreaming of a life far removed from the constraints of society, of one closer to nature. In an effort to adopt a more vagabond lifestyle, he donated his remaining college savings upon graduation of $24,000 to charity, abandoned most of his possessions, and began a journey across the American landscape. He initially drove his Datsun, a car manufacturer under the Nissan brand, all the way to Lake Mead National Recreation Area, but suffered numerous breakdowns along the way. He also did not carry valid car insurance, and his license plates were expired. After a flash flood that made the final blow to his car, he removed the evidence, gathered what he could carry by foot, and continued on. A quick fun fact about this car is that when the local authorities found it, they repaired it and put it into service as an undercover vehicle. McCainless's adventures took him through Arizona, California, South Dakota, and many places in between. He worked odd jobs, met various people, and lived off the land. For a while in early 1991, he worked as a grain elevator operator in South Dakota, but quit to once again pursue a more helter-skelter lifestyle without material possessions. He kayaked all up and down the Colorado River despite not having any proper training or boating license, and eventually reached Mexico. Upon attempting to kayak back into the U.S., he was arrested at a border checkpoint for trying to bring his handgun that he had used for self-defense and hunting. Following this debacle, he continued north, reaching back eventually to South Dakota. Then from South Dakota, he hitchhiked his way all the way up through Canada and into Fairbanks, where the meat of the Into the Wild movie then takes place. It was during this journey that he adopted the now famous pseudonym Alexander Supertramp, that he would refer to himself as whenever meeting new people. And no, get your head out of the gutter. Tramping refers to the act of walking long distances across a rough terrain. Anyway, McCandless's fascination with Alaska began long before he ever set foot there. He was drawn by the idea of living off the land in complete isolation, testing himself against nature's unforgiving elements. It was only natural that he chose Alaska, the last frontier, to fully immerse himself in the wilderness. According to John Krakauer, Chris originally set his sights for the Bering Sea on the west side of Alaska, and Denali was only a pit stop along the way. With minimal supplies, a small caliber rifle, a camera, several books, and 10 pounds of rice, he was determined to carve out an existence in the wilderness. 
As he set off on his journey, he hitchhiked once more down to Denali National Park to the trailhead of the Stampede Trail, a remote path outside Healy, Alaska, that kicked off his travels west. The Stampede Trail has a long history. It began as an old mining trail first blazed in 1903 by prospectors who were drawn to the Kantishna region, which was thought to contain gold. Later, however, in the 1930s, a man named Earl Pilgrim used the trail to mine for antimony, the main mineral extracted for nearly all of the trail's commercial use. There was one main drawback, however. The trail was only accessible in the winter when certain parts were frozen and the miners could get their equipment across. In 1960, the Utah Construction Company won a contract from the state to fix this problem by upgrading the trail for year-round mining purposes. As construction began, three 1946 International Harvester K-5 buses were sent to provide site accommodations for the crew members. Each bus contained a wood-burning stove and a couple of beds. The project didn't last long, however, as the company quickly realized the difficulties of building a road in such a harsh environment. The project ceased after just one year in 1961. Only 47.5 miles of road was built and no bridges were constructed. Notably, no bridges were constructed over the most dangerous part of the entire trail, the Teklanika River. The Stampede Mine continued to operate for another decade or so, but relied on the winter trail for transporting their shipments about 28 miles east to modern-day Healy. This ultimately proved too taxing on the company, and it shut down in the 1970s. As they were clearing everything from the mining site, one bus was left behind due to a broken rear axle. Fairbanks City Transit System Bus 142, the same bus that Chris stumbled across nearly 20 years later en route to the Bering Sea, that he later called the Magic Bus. McCandless kept a journal, whose journal entries reveal a mix of exhilaration and increasing hardship that eventually led him to give up on the idea of continuing west. For him, the bus represented a safe haven, a base where he could live out his Alaskan dream. He hunted small game like squirrel and rabbit, foraged for edible plants, and he even managed to kill a caribou but was unable to harvest it in time and the carcass ended up rotting away. But life in the wilderness, however, ended up being much harder than he anticipated, and living off the land became more challenging. By late July, McCandless decided to return to civilization. The Teklanika River, however, which he had crossed without difficulty in April, was now a 75-foot wide raging torrent due to the melting snow. Trapped by the river and weakened by starvation, McCandless reluctantly returned to the bus on July 8th. After this point, his journal entries indicate a progressively bleaker outlook on the situation. His last entry of his journal was written on the 107th day, beautiful blue berries, as it was written. And every day thereafter was marked with slashes until day 113, when it is believed that he died due to starvation. On September 6, 1992, what would have been day 132, his body was found by moose hunters who were seeking shelter themselves and found what they thought was a sleeping bag full of rotting food, but instead was Chris McCandless's body. The exact cause of death is unknown, but Krakauer points to either rabbit starvation, which is when you rely almost exclusively on lean meat without consideration for other macronutrients such as carbs or fats, or what he later uh, investigated was that he consumed a toxic anti-metabolite co- called L-cannabinine, thought to derive from 
the H alpinum seeds that Chris possibly could have eaten. His legacy left some people inspired to adopt a free-spirited, transcendental lifestyle, while for others, it left them in disbelief with his unpreparedness. Critics are quick to point out that Chris did not take any sort of map with him, which would have unequivocally noted that there was a hand-operated tram only a mile downriver. There was also a cabin stocked with food and supplies just six miles south of where he was. As is evident in Krakauer's reporting of McCandless, he took particular joy in not being prepared by conventional standards. He wanted nothing more than to live his life completely in the wild without having any societal lifeline to fall back on. Whether you agree or disagree with this mentality, that's truly what Chris was about. There's a paragraph on, on Chris's Wikipedia page that I really like. I think it sums up his very enigmatic nature. It says, Krakauer defended McCandless, claiming that what critics point to as arrogance was merely McCandless's desire for being the first to explore a blank spot on the map. In 1992, however, there were no more blank spots on the map. Not in Alaska, not anywhere. But Chris, with his very idiosyncratic logic, came up with an elegant solution to this dilemma. He simply got rid of the map. In his own mind, if nowhere else, the Terra would thereby remain incognita. He also goes on to say he was looking for a challenge. And in his mind, any challenge in which the outcome is assured isn't a challenge at all. Why do you do it if you know that you can succeed? In my personal opinion... There are valid arguments on both sides of the aisle. On one hand, I completely understand the frustrations people have with his reluctance to prepare himself adequately for the wild. I personally would never go anywhere willingly without having some sort of baseline knowledge about where I'm going, what the area is like, and so forth. But I can also see his perspective. Are you really living in the wild if you're relying on that knowledge that will give you an edge? knowing that society is only a reachable distance away if things go wrong. There's something innately human about our lust for wilderness survival. It's almost as if the technology we create to survive is the very same reason we look to escape it. I want to share a letter that Chris wrote to one of his friends. For me, there is no greater representation of the ideals that Chris had and what ultimately inspired people around the world, myself included, to appreciate life more fully. The letter reads as follows. I'd like to repeat the advice that I gave you before and that I think you should really make a radical change in your lifestyle and begin to boldly do things which you previously may never have thought of doing or have been too hesitant to attempt. So many people live within unhappy circumstances and yet do not take the initiative to change their situation because they are conditioned to a life of security, conformity, and conservatism, all of which may appear to give one peace of mind, but in reality nothing is more damaging to the adventurous spirit within a man than a secure future. The very basic core of a man's living spirit is his passion for adventure. The joy of life comes from our encounters with new experiences, and hence there is no greater joy than to have an endlessly changing horizon, for each day to have a new and different sun. If you want to get more out of life, Ron, you must lose your inclination for monotonous security and adopt a helter-skelter lifestyle that will appear at first to be crazy. But once you become accustomed to such a life, you will see its full meaning and its incredible beauty. And so, Ron, in short... Get out of Salton City and hit the road. I guarantee you'll be very glad you did. But I fear you will ignore my advice. You'll think that I'm stubborn, but you are even more stubborn than I am. You had a wonderful chance on your drive back to see one of the greatest sights on earth, the Grand Canyon, something every American should see at least once in their life. 
but for some reason incomprehensible to me. You wanted nothing more than to bolt home as quickly as possible, right back to the same situation which you see day after day after day. I fear you will follow the same inclination in the future and thus fail to discover all the wonderful things that God has placed all around us to discover. Don't settle down and sit in one place. Move around. Be nomadic. Make each day a new horizon. You are still going to live a long time, Ron, and it would be a shame if you did not take the opportunity to revolutionize your life and move into an entirely new realm of experience. You are wrong if you think joy emanates only or principally from human relationships. God has placed it all around us. It is in everything and anything we might experience. We just have to have the courage to turn against our habitual lifestyle and engage in unconventional living. My point is that you do not need me or anyone else around to bring this new kind of light into your life. It is simply waiting out there, waiting for you to grasp it. All you have to do is reach for it. The only person you are fighting is yourself and your stubbornness to engage in new circumstances. However, the Alaska Army National Guard didn't see it this way. After one too many people died or got severely injured, requiring search and rescue resources, the government decided to step in and remove the bus to deter hikers from venturing along the Stampede Trail. It was flown out in 2020 by CH-47 Chinook helicopters to the Museum of the North at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. It is said that it will be restored with a dedicated memorial through an outdoor exhibit available for the public. By the way, Healy, that town at the start of the trail, is home to the 49th State Brewing Company. Why does that matter? Because they have a replica of Bus 142 outside of it. So if you didn't want to go and hike the trail, or you didn't want to go up to the University of Alaska in Fairbanks, you could go to the brewing company and you could see almost an exact replica. I went there personally myself. But as I found out after talking with Ian on this last episode, the replica bus that's outside the 49th State Brewing Company is actually the same exact replica they used when filming the movie Into the Wild, which I think is pretty nuts. In any event, Chris's story is a poignant reminder of the allure of the wilderness and the relentless pursuit of ideals. His journey continues to both inspire and caution adventurers who seek to tread the fine line between the call of the wild and the reality of nature's unforgiving embrace. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time.